you're right. In academia, there is a traditional path that goes from PhD, postdoc, uh, another postdoc, another postdoc, you know, assistant professorship. There's a, there's a line there. Sometimes it, it appears from the outside that in the private sector, there might be a line because you can imagine an org chart and some classic roles, right? Okay, a scientist and then a manager and then a director and a vice president. And, but there really is a lot more flexibility than that. My career has done that. You, know, you can move laterally, you can move into another organization, you can learn a whole different aspect of the business, even as a scientist, right? We start with a technical background, but we're problem solvers. There's so many things we can do and so many things we might find interesting. I ended up moving into customer-facing roles, business development, product management later in my career. If you'd asked me when I was graduating with my PhD what I want to do that, I think, no, that's not at all what I want to do. And yet I found it very interesting, a way to leverage my science background and do that. Welcome to this new episode of Papa PhD. Today, I have the great, great pleasure of having uh, with me friend of the show and, and returning guest, David Giltner. Dave, super happy to have you here. Last time, there was a book in the works, and this time, you have the book. Too bad you can't... You can't give it to me through the camera. That would be great technology. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have that technology yet. I can't beam it to you, but, uh, but I One do day. have the book, yeah. One day. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about the book, the title, yeah, sure. what it's about? Absolutely. So the title is It's a Game, Not a Formula. That's a kind of a tagline I've come up with. The subtitle is How to Succeed as a Scientist Working in the Private Sector. And so that's, you know, if you know something about me, that's really what my work is with turning science. It's about helping scientists work in the private sector. And I like to say either as employees, as entrepreneurs, I do a fair amount of mentoring of startups and entrepreneurs, or as academic collaborators. I actually uh, have a workshop for uh, scientists who want to work at a university as a professor, the traditional role, if you will, uh, but want to collaborate with the private sector. And what it's about is this, it's a game, not a formula. It's something I've kind of put together in the last five, six years as I've really built this up, realizing that one of the challenges we have, and maybe all PhDs do, but certainly scientists do, is we, ha we develop a habit of looking for the right answer. That's what we do as a scientist, right? We're trying to unlock you know, formulas, theories, models that explain how things work, and there's a right answer we tend to approach our careers in the same way and that becomes a problem. And so it, the title is to encourage people to think differently uh, when you're working on your career and, you know, this career itself or this leadership or this being successful in your career. Uh, you know, there's no single right answer. There are many ways to win, much like a game. That's what makes games interesting is many ways to win. Uh, it's about taking risks. You have to do things where you don't know what the outcome is going to be, much like in a game where you have to take the shot or play your hand or move your chess piece, whatever the game is. And it's not just about knowledge. We are used to the fact that we're intelligent and we know a lot. Knowledge is power, but it really goes beyond that. Uh, much like a game, you know, you, you, it's, it's the risk-taking, it's the trying different things. Just knowing the right answer it, it isn't the way you get there. I like to say, so you go back to a game analogy or a sports analogy, knowing the rules better than anyone is not how you become a, an excellent player. That's how you become a referee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so do you want to be a ref or do you want to score points? Most of us want to score points. So That's a great, that's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Dave, for those who uh, haven't had the pleasure of, of listening to your first interview, This book is 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 coming from you know uh, reflections you've had from meeting people from coaching people. But can you tell us what was the the journey before that? How, what brought you to this space of um, of helping people uh, you know manage their careers as uh, scientists or as former scientists or or as pivoting scientists? Sure. So uh, I guess it started when I finished grad school. Uh, my PhD, I'm a physicist, so I have a PhD in physics, and I decided not to follow that traditional route to become a professor. I say traditional, turns out most of us end up in the private sector anyway, so it's that's just what most people in academia still imagine as the traditional role. That challenge of making that transition and figuring it out, it was a big challenge for me and it was for many of us. But this part of the, the journey really started with another book I wrote back in 2010, turning science into things people need. 
and it was just done as a side project between jobs. Um, I interviewed a bunch of scientists who had worked in the private sector and thought this would be a good guide for people who were doing it now. But that really set me off on this path that started just as a speaking gig. I'd, I'd speak at universities now and then, and it really grew into something much bigger. So by, it was 2020, well, frankly, the pandemic was instrumental. Uh, you know, I had developed all these ideas uh, for uh, around this whole topic of working in the private sector. And when uh, travel bans and things were implemented in 2020, I realized I'm not going to be traveling, giving my workshops and seminars like I usually do. It seemed like the right opportunity to write this second book and to get my own ideas out. You know, the first one was just interviews. It was awesome, but it wasn't any of my own ideas. By that time, I had developed a lot of my own principles, much like this theme. It's a game, not a formula. So that was the opportunity to actually put it into a book. I interviewed many more scientists. I've interviewed a lot of managers around, uh, you know, what do they struggle with? What, how do they see scientists struggle making the transition? So it's not just my own ideas. It's really a lot of wisdom I've gotten from other scientists and industry managers on how to make that transition better. Mm -hmm. I, I I really love that that you've put the effort to uh, to to write and put out something like that because um, the 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 world the it's kind of another planet industry <laughs> yeah. right it's it's even it's even kind of when you the word has this this gravitas to it that is even this weight uh, and uh, and to to uh, to have uh, you know this this resource to learn about it to learn, to hear you know. Uh, uh, the, the knowledge that you've uh, accrued based on talking with people who are in there, uh, I'm sure is helpful to uh, to a lot of people. Uh, there's, there's a lot of unknown, there's a lot of fear, uh, there's a lot of um, preconceived or acquired ideas that are mo often negative. Uh, so that's why I really, really love having you here each time because uh, with you, we're able to quickly uh, de debunk a lot of that and go into the meat of, of, of it and, and to how interesting it can be, how stimulating it can be, and what a great avenue it can be for, for a lot of people coming out with higher education degrees. So for for the listeners, uh, I was talking with Dave, and he suggested something that that I that has never been covered on the show. And it was his suggestion, and I... I I grabbed it as soon as he mentioned it, which was this question of uh, accessing uh, positions of influence uh, and and responsibility um, and leadership, you know, outside uh, the academic uh, the academic structure. Let's say so in the private or or in any it could be in government or or any other uh, um, organization. But there's a lot of taboo around that. I feel uh, there's a you know it's. Sometimes you know you can have a feeling that it's it's for a select club of people. If you're an introvert, you might think, okay, this is not for me. And I, that's why I'm really really curious about the reflections you've had on that, and about um, you know what what's what's your take, and what's maybe the, what conversations maybe you've had with people like you said who uh, who uh, accessed like managerial and anyway leadership positions once they they pivoted career. So backing up, you said uh, industry seems very different than academia, and that is true in many ways. Now, people can certainly work in both, and that's one of the things I do, but the rules of success are different. And in particular, some of those rules that are different are really critical to getting into a position of leadership uh, or of influence. Uh, you know, that That's one way to think of it right there is leadership is really about influence, and persuasion is a tool that we don't often think about too much in, say, in, in science. I mean, we think more in terms of proof, right? That's, that's the idea. You, many scientists imagine, I just gather the right data, and as I present it, then that proves my point. And I don't have to worry about influencing people. I don't need to persuade them, right? But that's actually a really important part of, of leadership. Another important part is making decisions. Uh, you know, it's not a definition of leadership, but being a good leader is really about being able to make decisions. I like to say when there's no right answer, you know, it starts with not having all the data you might like to have, which is also not science. Typically, you don't publish a paper until you've got enough data. You can say, yep, I'm very confident. I know the answer and I publish it. That is not the way 
the private sector works. Uh, to be a leader, you need to make decisions without a lot of data. And frankly, when there's not a right answer, I like to say, if, if we had the right answer, we don't really need the leader, right? Maybe a manager, but not, we just say, oh, it's clearly the right path and we will all head in that direction. But there are many questions where there is no right answer and somebody has to decide how to do that. We scientists tend to be pretty uncomfortable with that overall. Not Certainly not all of us, but many of us, because we've been used to saying, well, I don't have to take that risk. I just keep analyzing, collecting more data, and I put together the right answer. I find out the right answer. And that's very valuable. That's a great thing about how science works. But you get to the private sector, there's a lot of things that just don't have right answers. So influence. Persuading people is a key skill we don't really often pick up in academia. I and mean, some, some advisors are great at, at, at managing their research teams to do that, but many are not. Most are not, I think. Um, so making decisions quickly. Uh, another element of it is, uh, I like to say, figuring out what matters and what doesn't. Now, this is these three are all important in your career in general, but they're particularly true for being a leader. You just don't have time to do everything. Uh, you, you know, science again is about being very thorough. You be very, you're, you want to be very complete before you publish your results. But in the private sector, you have to move quickly. Uh, if you're doing anything worthwhile, you will have competition. That means you need to move fast, and you don't have the time to do absolutely everything. You have to pick what are the things that are really going to achieve the results that we need, and what are not. That becomes so important as a leader because it's not just your time you're looking at anymore. I mean, efficiency is always important, but you have to start to think about being effective. You now have a team and you have leverage, right? The things that you, the, the ways in which you direct them and lead them now influence more than just you. And so uh, really thinking carefully about what are the important things to do and what are the things that need to be set aside becomes important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, this reminds me of a conversation uh, in one of the early episodes of Papa PhD. Someone in industry saying that who told me um, uh, the difference here in industry is if something, you know, after, if a project doesn't work, doesn't work after, after two weeks, we drop it and we move to the next one. And it's, it's, it's really not the way, uh, the way things are designed uh, in academia. Uh, the, so the time frame is, is completely different, but like you say, it's a whole different uh, mindset. Oh Yeah. Yeah, one of the scientists that uh, I interviewed, you know, he says, work quickly to find out what doesn't work so you find out what does. So what you said about, you know, going through, getting through things quickly, oh, nope, that won't work, this won't work. Hey, this might work. Uh, but even when you get to the one that seems to work, you still don't really know. So you you work forward, you, you develop, uh, you know, you test it and you see if it works as you move forward. But you often have to pick that path before you really know if it's going to work. <laughs> Yeah. So so now the the thing that got me curious about what you just said and and also that that clicked with me was it's true that you know if you imagine someone coming from let's say like me uh, the life sciences or or you know any other uh, you know, hard sciences uh it's easy to see the person uh, leave academia go to R&D and maybe become a scientist in the in the private sector. You know, and and again, and do research in that setting, not in a managerial or in a in a leadership position. But I'm really curious um, because, I, again, I always like to share kind of stories or journeys uh, that people don't know of. And I'm really curious about from the people you've met, what were their path? You know, from being accepted first as a an, a researcher into industry, which is already there's challenges there, often just of people who were hiring, understanding what the person brings to the table. But how then was the, this kind of evolution to then uh, go into a position of leadership versus being pigeonholed as, well, this person was on the bench, they'll go work on the bench here uh, in the company? Yeah, I mean, a big part of that that I think I've seen is that Uh, even if they're working in a lab at a bench doing technical work that may look more like what they did as an academic research scientist, the ability to, it's the decision-making in short, is that ability to take a risk. You know, they see something and they say, okay, I realize now we have to make a move that doesn't involve me spending the next two years in the lab to figure out the right answer. 
but those who can say, okay, I know enough. I can, here's my recommendation. That's actually where it starts. You know, the, the, the manager who maybe is not a scientist or technical at all. This is a good example we, we have three different ways we might be able to, to develop this product. And you as the scientist talking to the person we're talking about here, I, I need you to assess what do you think is the best way? And if that, when that person is able to quickly, uh, you know, do some research, maybe put together some prototypes, but do something fairly quickly and say, okay, it looks like this is probably it. And I'm willing to now give a recommendation without knowing for sure. I understand that's the game. We have to move fast. I understand I won't know for sure, but here's my assessment. The manager then thinks, wow, this is really valuable. They are willing to take that risk. They know we have to move quickly. They aren't coming back and saying, ooh, gee, I really don't know. I need another three weeks or six weeks or six months. Um, that That is one of the first things I've noticed that makes somebody appear to be, maybe you could say management material, that's kind of private sector lingo. But a better way to look at it is this person understands the game and they can make decisions and they can really help lead things. That's that's the first indicator, I think, that uh, they can do that because then it's a really powerful combination. You have somebody that understands the technology at a deep level and is able to play the private sector game by taking a risk. That right there is, it's unfortunately a bit rare. My follow-up question to that is, is it, because like you say, it's a, it's rare that, that it comes naturally to people, but is it uh, something that you can, uh, you, you can learn? Is, is it a learnable skill? Is it something that, by spending one year, two years uh, at a you know in an organization, uh, that that you can slowly try to, you know, uh, get yourself slowly more and more out of your comfort zone and and uh, and uh, into this frame frame of mind of taking risks, uh, which which is not what you brought back from uh, from university. Absolutely. It, it can be learned. You know, certainly some people just have more of a uh, the, more of a tendency to behave that way in the first place. But many of us, I mean, I, I was not naturally that way early on and I had to learn it. That's part of why I teach that now, because I realize, ah, yes, this is learnable. It starts with awareness. And that's really where I start with this kind of a not a wake up call. That's maybe not the right feeling, but sort of a, Hey, this is a different game. Even before you head that direction, realize it's a different game you're playing. Uh, Cause there can be a tendency, you know, a PhD has been trained to be independent and there's a tendency to leave our graduate programs and, and think, okay, I know how the game is played. I know how to do this, but when you move into the private sector, it's different. So it starts with that awareness that this is a different game. Here is what brings success there. But then, of course, like it, there are thinking habits involved. It's not that you just flip a switch and all of a sudden you're thinking in a private sector mode. Many of us have to get to where we're more comfortable making those decisions, where we think naturally I have to influence people, not just prove it to them. I don't have time to get the data to prove them, prove it to them. Or I need to think what is really critical for this. I don't have the time to do everything. And those are habits that are learned over time. But you absolutely can get better at those yes mm -hmm. well and clearly you can get better at those working with you david gilter so so uh uh, uh and I, I will share uh so dave has, has a website and i will share it in the show notes but um the, the the other thing that that gets me curious is you know the the career uh in academia the way i the way you know i i see it and and the way in conversations you know the kind of uh, simplified is it's it's quite linear in a way you know you, there's, there's some steps you take some uh, some uh, um you know uh, uh how can I say you you apply it to, dif to different things but there's a linear progression towards uh, getting higher and higher in that career and in that hierarchy but the feeling i have about conversations uh, uh that have to do what with what happens outside academia in the private sector is that it's the the uh, um, career journey even within an organization may not be linear at all uh and and why i'm asking this is because i i imagine two cases one case of the person who doesn't have that natural talent let's say for leadership but who you know so gets maybe that r and d position and then 
starts to develop it and develop a taste for it and even skill for it later on. But also, I'm thinking about that person who might have it already and who might think, oh, I want to, yeah, I want to go to industry, but I want to start at this position and this salary. And from the conversations I've had, I feel that often it's not realistic because, uh, um, you know, it's hard for someone hiring to know in general what a PhD is. Each PhD is different. And often you'll have to start at a position, you know, you'll have to have some humility as to the first position that you take just after leaving academia. I don't know if this jives with what you observe, uh, uh, but I'd like your reflection on that and and on the, this, you know, horizontal versus zigzag or not non-linear paths of evolution in the in the industry versus what we're used to. You know, postdoc, 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 uh, and then and then teaching, etc. Yeah, uh, excellent question, and there's kind of a lot uh, to unpack there. So uh, if I miss anything, make sure you bring me back because I've got several thoughts. Yes, on. that's my error. I always I, I I my my thoughts branch and I let them I, do it. And uh, but I will I will try and and, and get back and and, and tell I, you. If I totally get it. My, my partner and I like to say because everything is connected to everything else. And that's exactly the way we function too, right? One question leads to another, but everything, what you mentioned is an excellent, excellent thing to discuss. Uh, Let's see. So I'll start with, you're right. In academia, there is a traditional path that goes from PhD, postdoc, uh, another postdoc, another postdoc, you know, assistant professorship. There's a, there's a line there. Sometimes it, it appears from the outside that in the private sector, there might be a line because you can imagine an org chart and some classic roles, right? Okay, a scientist and then a manager and then a director and a vice president. And, but there really is a lot more flexibility than that. My career has done that. You, know, you can move laterally. You can move into another organization. You can learn a whole different aspect of the business, even as a scientist, right? We start with a technical background, but we're problem solvers. There's so many things we can do and so many things we might find interesting. I ended up moving into customer-facing roles, business development, product management later in my career. If you'd asked me when I was graduating with my PhD, what I want to do that, I think, no, that's not at all what I want to do. And yet I found it very interesting, a way to leverage my science background and do that. Um, you, you asked about an entry role. I know there is a perception that sometimes you have to have humility. I've certainly heard that. I don't think that nas- that has to be the case. I certainly did not feel that. I was very pleased with my first role. But I think the difference is from the outside, it's hard to know what you would do. It's sometimes the classic roles, job descriptions that are described may not fit as well. And that can absolutely give us that feeling. Um, that's why I always say it's so important looking for a job to actually find creative ways to get in touch with the people in the companies. A lot of companies may not necessarily think we need a scientist for this role because they don't necessarily appreciate what we bring to the table. But when you have a conversation with them that is, in short, what are you doing and what are the problems that you're having and where do you need some help? Sometimes the role for that is absolutely a scientist, even though it's not necessarily what they're thinking. I mean, I have had cases where I talked to an employer about a job opening they thought they had. And as they thought through what they really needed, they realized in this case, oh, Dave, you are the person that we could use for that. You know, it's a funny thing. Um, sometimes, well, there's an, there's an adage in the private sector that if you have time to hire somebody, you actually don't need them. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of a joke, but what happens is when somebody truly does need to bring a new person on, especially if it's this higher level problem solving thing, sometimes they haven't really thought completely through exactly what they need. They just know something isn't getting done, you know, and if it's, we need somebody to solder circuit boards at technician level, that's easy. If it's uh, my, the, the director asked us to move in some new direction, there's this product direction, we have customers for it, we don't yet know what the technology platform might be, so I need to hire somebody. Well, they may not have thought through exactly what person they need, and sometimes that conversation with someone who's looking really helps. It, it helps the, the seeker, the job seeker, understand what the company needs, but it also helps the hiring manager really think through what are they looking for, because a more complex, sophisticated, problem-solving kind of job can be tough. 
when they learn that a PhD is someone they might be able to just give a, a fuzzy, not completely well-defined problem to, and they'll take it and run with it, all of a sudden a scientist looks like a great person, you know, to hire. So let's see, have I, have I have we covered? So yeah, this was the question about, about yeah, the, the humility and, and, and finding a fit uh, and, and, and yeah, starting, you know, at an entry level uh, position that might not fulfill all of what you expected right after the, after your degree. But uh, what I'm hearing is that is uh, first uh, be aware that job postings won't often won't um, fit you perfectly. And I, I don't think they fit any candidate perfectly. That's but, true. But yeah. uh, so, so what I'm getting is what's really important is that conversation you have uh, if you get a, if you get an interview, is to really make that count. If someone is has is having these questions about, do I need a scientist? Like this person comes with a PhD, is you know, are they over qualified for this? Do you have like best practices for uh, for having fruitful conversations when you're in this setting? Uh, so yes. This is an excellent question because what I'm going to do is first I'll say I suggest you get in touch with them even before an interview because you're right. If you are in for an interview, the hiring manager has in mind probably a specific job. They've gotten it approved uh, somehow. So there's actually a rack open and they can interview and they probably have something in mind. Now, it's fine to come in and ask questions. You want to ask questions and better understand it. That is fine. Uh, not to take control of everything. Obviously, they're the hiring manager, but it's totally fine to be asking questions, especially at a PhD level. You know, nobody's looking for uh, to hire a PhD level person to tell them exactly what they're going to do. They want somebody who asks questions. They want somebody who takes charge of to a certain degree. But the best practice that I'll actually mention here is I really strongly recommend, and this is the only way I've gotten jobs, it's the way I've gotten all of my jobs, to reach out and connect with people even before you get to an interview, sometimes even without seeing a job description. And I don't mean go to them with a CV or resume in hand and say, hey, do you have a job? It starts with just uh, exploring an area that you are interested in. I'm big on having a target. That's really where it starts. What do you want to do and where? Whether it's a technology, whether it's a market sector, an application. You know, I love nanotechnology or I want to make a difference curing cancer or I want to uh, telecommunications is a really interesting area. And you start meeting people in that area and asking about what they do. Ask lots of questions and understand. That's how you learn what are jobs in this area like. You know, informational interviews with people that are doing jobs you might think are interesting. You're not looking for a job. You're just saying, hey, you have made a successful career. You appear to have made a successful career in this area. I'm really interested in getting into it. I'm doing some research. Would you spend 20 minutes on a Zoom call or can I buy you a beer and we talk about what's a day like? How did you get to where you are? Uh, you know, what would you do differently? What was important in getting to where you are? But as you pursue these conversations, you find people who are in need, you know, who are looking for help. Good managers are looking for help even before they have a rec open, right? Good managers are always, some say they're, they're always recruiting and only occasionally hiring. <laughs> they're, all, they're always paying attention. This is the way to get good stuff. And so whether it's at a conference, at a meeting, go to an industry association, that's where you really do the research uh, to find out what are these jobs about? How do they, how to come, what are companies doing? You know, what are the new things they're developing? Cause this is where they need a PhD problem solver so that you get kind of that inroad. Um, the last job that I got, I did see a job description and I called somebody that I had come to know through something completely different and just asked about it. It wasn't a job I wanted, but I called him up and said, Hey, it looks like you guys are hiring. And he said, yeah, I'm not really sure about the one you saw on the website, but I do know the VP of engineering is looking for somebody to solve this problem. I'll connect you and you guys can talk about what he needs. The job wasn't even posted, but I had a warm introduction. You know, it's this is a game also, right? I can't say there. this course. is the right way or the formula to do this. It's just about uh, finding people who are doing work in an area you're interested in, asking questions, meeting them, saying, who else should I talk to? 
Uh, and, and that's where you find those opportunities, even before you might get to an interview. That's the best practice that is most important. And I, I'm with you a hundred percent. And, uh, and I think, yeah, it's, it's so enriching. Uh, and what's interesting about it too, is in the process of doing that, you'll also be learning some of the culture, some of the lingo, Absolutely. Uh, all little things that without you noticing, whenever you'll have that actual conversation about a, a position, you'll, you'll be so much better at just, uh, just exchanging with that person in a productive way, in a language that they understand, it'll click right away. That is so true. So to paint maybe the full spectrum here, job seekers who are just looking online, and online is powerful, right? We can do so much online. feels like we ought to be able to just sit at our computer and do everything. But that can be so limiting, actually. That's where people get the feeling that oh, I'm overqualified. I'm not seeing the jobs that would fit me. Um, but as you start to talk to people, you get all these things you're talking about, whether it's the culture, the lingo, you hear from people and it starts to open your eyes to, oh, wow, I see this completely different. And you start to move down that spectrum to what it really looks like. And the whole job search seems different. It's, it's, it's a whole different activity and it starts to look so much more like something that might work for you. So now, going back to what was the other part that I and and it's and it connects really nicely with this. The other part that I wanted to talk about, you get this this first position, which let's say it's not a position of, of leadership. You've already mentioned that if you if you just show that you're you're you know you're you're forward thinker, you're uh, you're uh, you're able to make decisions and and take risks, you will be noticed. But what what I'd really love you to to expand a little bit about more is because you know how it works, you've seen it, you've lived it. How does it work in a company? This thing of being noticed and of of changing chairs. Let's say it could be horizontally, it could be you know, it could be to another department, it could be to another role in the same department. Because I think there's a lot of unknown for for people who are let's say in grad school about how evolution of a career even within a, a, a company works is it very strict uh, is it is it very plastic uh, and i'm sure it varies from company to company but there must be some trends right yeah i mean excellent question also so there is some variation certainly you know larger companies tend to have more structure smaller companies uh, especially very small companies very flexible and and you can kind of do almost anything but there are some general trends and again especially at a phd level person uh maybe i'll a caveat if somebody is who's listening is working in a company they say well it doesn't work at my company yeah there are companies that don't appreciate the flexibility that a phd might have and maybe you're in the wrong company and want to look around but generally what i would say the approach that has worked for me and i think works for many First important thing is do the job that, you know, focus on the job that you're doing now and make sure you do a really good job at it. You know, you want to, don't want to spend too much time looking around. Do a good job, but ask questions and show an interest. I like to say when I tell the story of my career, I was I started out working in a lab developing laser technology for products. But I like to say I kept sticking my head out of the lab, figuratively anyway, and asking, hey, this is great, but who is using these products? What are our customers doing with them? You know, we're clearly, it's not the end game. They're doing something else with them. And, and uh, you know, I started getting invited to customer meetings. And that gives my boss, my manager, or the salespeople an opportunity to see me perform in a completely different environment. And, and uh, they saw, wow, Dave seems to enjoy describing these products to our customers. Maybe, you know, there's something new we could do. Uh, and somehow it, this depends on what your interests might be, but asking questions about what's the bigger picture of, for what it is you're working on shows your manager you're interested in more. Um, and not every manager will be interested. Some have a very pigeonholed structured idea, but the fact is, you know, if you're a PhD, you probably want to work at a company that's somehow growing, somehow doing new things. Uh, a company that develops, I don't know, you know, shampoo probably isn't doing a whole lot of R&D. I mean, maybe I'm wrong there, but there are certainly companies that don't grow a lot. But if you're at a company that does, 
your management ought to be looking for how do we grow? And that means how do we move people into new places, new roles, and how do we expand what we're doing? And those questions showing an interest beyond just what you've been asked to do shows that you have an interest in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's a great first step. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then um, I imagine this, this would happen in settings of like group meetings and things like that. So To, yeah. to just yeah. raise your voice and if you if you have something to share that you think will add value to not censor yourself and to just just offer it and and see what happens yeah it might be uh maybe a suggestion of a recommendation when we have a problem we run into something uh you know and it could be something that in the end your manager has to decide but if they're good at their job they probably are looking for input on whatever that decision is and you know, say well Here are some things I'm thinking about. And if you show you're good at that, they will appreciate that. Uh, and that also kind of highlights you as somebody who's thinking beyond just what they're doing right now. And now uh, something that I, I don't know whether you have an answer for it, but is is there, um, you know, if someone is evolving, let's say from like we, in this example that we said from an R&D to something uh, of more uh, responsibility, of more leadership, uh, do tip, do companies typically um send the person or offer the person training or you know team management training or something like that or is it something that you yourself should start working on if you, if you're feeling okay I'd love to go into a managerial um position but I don't have experience uh, you know managing a team of people uh, is that something that comes up Yeah, so I think both is going to be the short answer. I always think everyone should take responsibility for their own career. And again, especially at a PhD level, the, the hallmark is that you are independent somehow. I think it's good to think of yourself as a consultant, even if you have a job, simply because that helps you focus on what do you bring. Um, there was uh, a time I was working at kind of an individual contributor role, and I wanted to move into more of a leadership role. And just on my own, I started listening to this podcast at the time. I think it was called Manager Tools on my own, doing you know my own kind of study and thinking about it. Um, so I think that's important and that's a great idea. Uh, but do companies provide that? Yes, in general. Now, usually larger companies have more of the resources to be able to provide formal training, but I have certainly worked with smaller companies that would where the managers and the company in general would be open to uh, taking courses or, or some kind of training, um, you know, outside the company and they might pay for it or support it or allow you time to do that. Um, also mentoring within the company. I haven't done a whole lot in terms of formal training, actually. Uh, a big part of it is actually working with a, a manager who is willing to coach you. That is huge. I mean, if I back up to the story I told my first job where I started sticking my head out of the lab and asking questions, there I, I give a lot of credit to my manager. He was excellent at – he really took the groom a successor principle. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of this? It's, it's a, an important principle for a manager. Always be grooming a successor because if you want to move on to bigger things, you need somebody who can cover for you. He was really great when he saw I had that interest. He was really great at bringing me into those activities. And when I say activities, it could be anything. Traveling on a business trip with him to meet some customers and see what were they doing with it. Boy, that, that is eye-opening to see those conversations. Or pulling me into discussions of how did he manage the resources in the group from a, a headcount issue? You know, how many, he, these are the products we have to develop and these are the people we have to do it. How are we going to break it out? Uh, he gave me the task of trying to do some of that tracking both so it provided input to him but also it helped me see that firsthand how it was working um that's really valuable in a manager and again kind of like I, the caveat i said at the beginning if if you're working with somebody for somebody who really doesn't do that you might want to think about finding a way to move on because uh you know anything's fine for a short period of time but if you really don't think it's a good fit and they're not interested in you growing because there are bad managers everywhere. Uh, maybe it's good move on because there are absolutely are managers that are interested in you growing and developing. And boy, that's such a wonderful thing to have. Yeah. And I've heard of this, like you can move on to, to another employer, but often if it's a large enough uh, organization, 
you can be moving on within the organization to another department and it can change the, you know your life can change completely just uh, <laughs> oh absolutely <laughs> yeah and that can even happen in a smaller company depending on what's you know if a small company again if they're trying to grow new things will come up who knows what new opportunity you can have to to say you know i'd be interested in in taking the lead on that and i've done that in a company of uh 30 people where something new came up and I moved out from under who I was working for either to another manager or to something where I was basically the lead myself to tackle a new project, a new task. Small companies tend to be pretty flexible that way. So yeah, whether it's a large company and you can just move into another existing organization that has a need or whether you uh, kind of find a new role, in some cases create a new role. I, I created a role at my last job. I said, Yeah, we need product management. We don't really have anyone doing product management. And I created the director of product management role for myself and, <laughs> and moved into that. So, I mean, it really, I, how does this, this comes back to kind of the PhD problem solver. It's easy to think of problems as a problem I'm given uh, in, in university as a, to solve. Problems are way bigger than that. Problems can include, hey, we are trying to grow in this direction and How do we do that? It's a very complex problem. We can be great at thinking of uh, how to solve that and, and doing it, implementing it. That's what leadership is. And if you have an idea, sometimes that gets you selected. You know, hey, that's a great idea. How would you like to lead that yourself? Help us figure out how to implement that. You know, and all of a sudden you've got a new, a new job, a new experience, a new thing to put on your resume, CV. A new challenge, because often, often uh, you hear this tr this trope of, oh, uh, I'm leaving academia. It's not going to be challenging. It's not going to be uh, stimulating, and what and all the things you're saying, you know, are kind of it's kind of proving the exact opposite. That oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very challenging, very stimulating. It does look like that from the outside because we're used to, you know, maybe. From a science standpoint, scientific work and the research won't be the same and I won't be publishing papers with pages of math or, I, you know, we, we think in terms of honestly have a narrow uh, view of what intellectual stimulation is. It's all extremely important, very valuable, but there's a whole, it's a broader spectrum of problems to be solved, uh, challenges to uh, approach, things to learn. Um, There's even a different kind of freedom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, of course. People often look at academia and think, oh, professors are free to go in any direction they want. Many times a PI will disagree and they say, no, I can only do things that will get funding. <laughs> but, but the freedom in the private sector is not, so, you know, sure, you have to work on technologies that your customers are looking for. I mean, that does limit you somewhat. But all those problems within that are problems that don't have a right answer and you are free to, many times this is what your management is looking for. How are you going to solve that problem? You're free to, to tell us what's the best way to do this. It's a completely different kind of freedom and a completely different kind of challenge. What it feels to me is the big um, plus from what you've said for PhDs uh, wanting and or, or discovering they want to access a position of leadership or, or, or influence within an organization, the key things that I hear, if I, if I like distill it to like, let's say two elements, it's uh, creativity and problem solving skills, kind of both together. And, and which I, I, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, uh, and uh, well, you're nodding. So I guess, I guess you, you, you agree, but, uh, before, so before we go to this, this last little question that I want to ask you, because I, I think this, we've been very positive and, and I, I, of how to, you know, in the positive way, but what not to do, I think is also important. We might finish with that because we're getting to the end of the interview, but I do want to take this, uh, this moment to, for you to, uh, again, uh, t let people know where they can, they can contact you if they want, if they want to comment on something we've said if if they want to ask a question to go deeper into into one of of the points that you mentioned where do people find you on online yeah absolutely so if you want to find out about what i do that would be my website turningscience.com and i see you're scrolling uh the link there that takes to where you can get my book um the, the website the root you know the uh domain is is my website that's what i do the best place to reach me is on linkedin That's where I'm most active. 
Uh, it's really a great platform for the kinds of things I do. And so feel free to connect with me. Uh, and I'm always happy to entertain questions and things. And I can confirm David is very reactive on LinkedIn. Uh, if you if you're interested in the in the book again it's uh called it's a game not a formula and if you go to turningscience.com forward slash it's a game not a formula with dashes instead of spaces you will get to the to the page and, uh, and you'll be able to order your book dave told me it's also available on other platforms like amazon and on the publisher so if you look if by her by his name and by the name of the book you will find it um, again, uh, for those who are just listening, uh, all of these links, I will put them in the show notes of the episode. So to finish kind of the conversation, um, what are like a, a couple of errors of mistakes people do in, in these first conversations, you know, pivoting uh, into industry that might be working against them in terms of uh, their, their career advancement and maybe uh, accessing uh, these positions of leadership? Yeah. So one of the, uh, and the answer comes from complaints I've heard from industry managers. So it's not just me guessing. This is what I've actually heard. You'd be surprised how many managers, because I ask this question a lot. How do PhD scientists do? One of the biggest ones I've heard so many times and almost always verbatim, which is funny, they just say, PhDs always have to be the smartest person in the room. And that doesn't work. And I hear that and I think, oof, I've done that. I've been there. And, and I understand why, because of the environment we're trained in. It's a, you know, it's a competitive environment. You've always got other PhDs around you. There's kind of this competition, you know, to be right, to be the most right, to correct other people if they're not quite right. Right. You know, that's part of the game in, in an academic setting. Mm -hmm. Boy, it does not work in the team environment of the private sector where everyone's got a different background and different skill sets. You know, it's so that's the bad thing. Don't be the smartest, be effective, not smart. I like to say that's the habit. It's, it's actually in my book, be effective, not smart. And sometimes being effective means saying, Oh, I don't know that. Can you help me learn that? That's not usually what we do as a PhD. We usually go, I don't know that I better go learn it. So I'm smart next time. Right. But no, you know, look for help. Be, be okay. Saying, I don't know that. Can you teach me something? That's a big one. The other big one is being afraid to take that risk. And it shows in that you're afraid to answer a question if you don't really know the answer. You know, and it's okay to say, hey, I need to look and I'll get back to you, but you have to get back to them quickly. If it's, you know, that'll take six months or, you know, sometimes even two weeks is too long. You kind of have to know what are they looking for. It's an environment where people are okay. Gambling is not the right word. Gambling feels too much like it's a thing of chance. That is not it, but it's, it's the game. Most people in the private sector understand this is a game where we have to take a chance, right? An educated guess. Yes, we do research. Yes, we, and we make, we take the, the choice that we think is best, but without knowing you have, if you, if you show that you can't play that game because, Oh, I, I, I don't know. I need a lot more time to be sure that right there, that's a black mark that shows, Oof, they don't get it. And most people, you know, I say you can learn that, but most people looking at hiring you are just going to go, oh, no, that's too much work. That's not, they don't get it. They don't even get it. Not only do they not have the habit, they don't even get that this is what we need. So those are the two biggest things. If you, if you have to be the smartest in the room, not going to work for you. And if you can't take a risk, take a chance, take a shot, you know, if, if you need to have the right answer, um, if you can't make a decision when there is no right answer, that's going to be tough too. That that's, uh, makes a lot of sense, uh, even even with stories that, that people told me. Uh, you know, there's, there's someone, um, I can't remember the person, uh, but, you know, someone saying, yeah, I had a PhD, but the engineer on the floor who's been working 15 years on this machine or in the system knew so much more than me. And, and you know, we had a great relationship and mutual respect and my degree had no value in itself uh, per, per se uh, in, the, in this relationship. So, no, no, it, it really, really does make a lot of sense to me. So creativity, take, being able to take risks and to, and to not want to have all the data before putting, uh, putting some solution out there. And uh, so being a, a team player uh, and um, 
not not wanting to be the smartest the smartest person in the room yeah uh, it, it's uh it makes a lot of sense it's not it's not too difficult but it, it is something you need to keep in mind because it it might be a reflex you fall into even without knowing and that's exactly why the title of the book to me and hopefully to everyone else that's the mnemonic or that's the reminder of all those things it, it's a game oh right yes i'm not looking for the right answer right That covers so many of those things. I mean, you know, my partner, she reminds me of this all the time. It's, it's a habit that, you know, she's a PhD as well in psychology. And, and we remind each other, right? Ah, it's a game, not a formula. Yes. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> habits, habits can be hard to break. But if you can find something that uh, really encompasses all that, it, that's how you remember to stay in the game. And that's how you win the game. Awesome. Well, Dave, this is a great way to to finish. Kind of coming back to the to the book and to the name of the book. It's awesome. Uh, it's been great talking to you again. I'm uh, I'm super happy for you that uh, that the, the book is out, and I'm super happy to have you here and to be able to go through these questions, which, like I said, I hadn't covered uh, in in you know in this depth on the show. And uh, I really really appreciate all the experience and all the all the, the, the know-how you bring on this. And so also I recommend if you're listening, if you appreciate it, if you liked what, you, what you've heard, go get Dave's book. Uh, and again, uh, it's on his website, turningscience.com. You'll find it there. It's a game, not a formula. Uh, and I really like how you made it all make sense in the end. I really love it. <laughs> uh, Thank you. So thanks for, for having been a second time in Papa PhD, Dave. It's been a great pleasure. Follow me, follow Dave, uh, you know, on LinkedIn. He's also on Twitter. Uh, so, you know, we have we have messages we're putting out there. Following us is shows us that you're that the messages are listened and uh, and are useful. So, if you can follow us, uh, it'd be it'd be really appreciated. Dave, you have a last word? I uh, just I want to say thank you for for having me back on here. You got a great show, and I'm happy to be part of it again. Um, and uh, hopefully this, this leadership topic kind of gives you a new direction to move into. It is important. So um, thanks. It's been great talking to you. And uh, yeah, just keep remembering it's a game. It is. A it's a game, not a formula. I love it. <laughs> Dave, thanks a lot. And, uh, and uh, all well. the best. And we'll keep in touch. Thank you. Same to you. 